Hello and welcome to I'm a Fan of That, a podcast about all things fandom told through objects, stories, and studies with a bit of silliness along the way. Your hosts on this journey are pop culture writer, journalist, and cosplay expert Holly Swinyard and myself, Viviana Simos, a public anthropologist and pop culture academic with a PhD in religion and popular culture. Join us as we wander down the incredible and intriguing path into fan culture, its history, the people who make it up, and the way that we look at this ever-growing part of our society. Fair warning, we may talk about some adult themes, use some adult language, and possibly get a little bit nerdy about the whole thing. You have been warned. Hello and welcome to I'm a Fan of That. My name is Holly Swinyard. I'm a pop culture writer and anthropologist. What? I'm an anthropologist. You're an anthropologist. I'm <laughs> Don't be taking job. my gig. I'm going to do it again. <laughs> okay. <laughs> Hello and welcome to I'm a Fan of That, a pop culture podcast all about those things that we love. I am Holly Swinyard. I am a pop culture author and journalist and definitely not stealing Vivian's job today. <laughs> <laughs> and I am Vivian. I am a pop anthropologist. And yeah, that's what I am. I don't have a second gig. <laughs> <laughs> I've just been collecting all the jobs. It's okay. You're taking them all from me. Don't I take know. my last one. <laughs> um, so it's my turn to bring an object. Yes. And this is a really exciting episode because we are doing it on cosplay. Oh. Finally, we got there. We've been talking about it all series. And <laughs> now... We're- we were supposed to save it to be like an extra episode of like this is the episode on cosplay and then every episode i feel like we're like well here's our 10 uh, 20 minute conversation on cosplay yeah. instead of doing what we were supposed to be doing yeah. um in the same way that we are technically sponsored to talk about tolkien at any given moment <laughs> yes it's always tolkien um discworld yeah and cosplay. Well, that's good because I'm doing at least two of those in the first moment <laughs> of this, so that's fine. Because um, I brought my object, which is my trophy that I won at the International Discworld Masquerade 2022. Uh, and it's beautiful. I'm holding it up for the... We're we recording this a on camera. a camera today. It's very exciting, so I'm holding up for the camera. It is ridiculously heavy and needs a good polish because it's silver, but it's a silver gilt... Discworld, the twin and the elephants and everything with the discs set on top of it, and it's ridiculously heavy. Um, but the reason I've chosen that is because we're going to talk about uh, accessibility in cosplay, and one of the big things to do with accessibility is costume competitions. There's a lot of stuff around it, so I thought I would bring that, and we'd start that as our our conversation starter today. I, I do have to say, real quick, you mentioned you're like, oh yeah, we'll bring one of my one of my trophies in, and I was imagining like you know those trophies that you get at like football yeah, when yeah. you're like five. I was imagining that, and but then I you have... came in with this, and I was like, holy crap! I have those too. I've got my like kids karate trophy <laughs> ones that they've been repurposed to be for cosplay competitions. They're very funny, um, but this is the best one. That is, it's a very good one. It's it very is. nice. I have literally because I have had it on a stand as well, so I hadn't realised how dirty it's got. <laughs> There's something to do. Don't tell the Discworld community; they'll be cross. I didn't say it in the podcast or anything. So how how often do you still do cosplay competitions? Very often. Not really. No. Um, I used to compete more. I've never been a big competitive person. It's never been like a big part of what I do. But I would say maybe I do one every two two to three years now. And every so often I'll just go and do a little a little fun masquerade or something just for the, the fun of getting on stage, but not in a serious capacity. So this one uh, I had planned on doing in 2020. And then we all know what happened in 2020. <laughs> Uh, and so I essentially had three years worth of planning and scheming and <laughs> ideas coming up to uh, competing in 2022 and it all came together which and of course I had three years and I was still con crunching the last minute before Always. literally two days before the con I was still finishing off like uh, the video element and all that kind of stuff so it was a multimedia extravaganza that's it I was really proud of it what did you do? Um, I did a sort of drag burlesque type skit with uh, recorded lip synced music and all that kind of stuff um, with a rip away trouser costume change in the middle from one costume to the next Um, and it was very over the top and very silly and I essentially told the story of one of the books in one of the Discworld books in one minute and 45 seconds (laughs) uh, through like cutaway music and all this sort of stuff um, if anyone does want to see the skit, it is on my TikTok, so you can watch it on there. 
uh, my friend's handheld phone <laughs> recording of it because we didn't ever got a proper recording. But you get it. The idea is there. So it, it's you can see it. It does exist. I was very proud of it. And it was, um, I cosplayed as Moise von Litvig, which is the worst name of any character ever. Um, and I don't know how Terry got away with naming a character that, but I think by that point he was famous enough and had enough money that nobody could stop him. So, <laughs> But yeah, I don't compete that frequently anymore. I tend to uh, get fluff in my mouth, apparently. Um, yeah, I don't compete that frequently anymore. I, I tend to pick a competition that I think is gonna be good fun is going to be well judged and have a lot of uh it's gonna be a challenge for me to take you know to take on the components of it like the skit the the stage setup all that kind of stuff as well as the costume itself because I want to challenge myself when I do it that's the point of doing them for me but also like I want to do one that is open in a way that like you can enter it no matter kind of what I like about the Discord one is it's got entry levels for everybody. So you can start as a beginner, novice, mm. journeyman, masters, and you can kind of be in any category there. And so it means everybody gets a chance, which I really like. Whereas obviously some competitions you're kind of all thrown in together. Yeah. And it's a bit different. And obviously some competitions are set up to be a master's competition. That's what it is, right? You are all masters in together. Whereas it's quite nice when you have those categorizations, which is what um, the one I'm planning on doing next, which will hopefully be at Worldcon, Glasgow uh, next year. Because that has, again, it's categorized, so everybody gets a chance, everybody has a shot at winning, which I think is really nice. And everyone can win their category as well, so it might be that you don't necessarily get best in show, but you could be best novice, mm. or you could be best journeyman, or you could be, um, I think, I'm not sure if Worldcon does, but some have it as um, sort of, best new person so if you if you've come in as a beginner you get like a there's a sort of special category of beginners who've never done it before which i think is really nice yeah yeah i think this will be an interesting conversation because you're obviously coming at it from the perspective of having done a lot of it um so for me just in case people need to know i'm going to be trying to represent a lot of the people that i've spoken to and one of the things that is really fascinating about that is I have heard all sorts of different perspectives on cosplay and elitism, cosplay and competitions, and how people feel about this kind of stuff. And I've gotten some people really defending things. I've gotten some people really loving to do competitions. That's like their main thing for cosplay. And then I've talked to other people who absolutely hate it. So um, I might seem like I'm playing devil's advocate sometimes in this, but it's because I'm trying to give voice to some of the people and the perspectives that I personally heard from. Yeah, and I can only talk from my own experience, exactly. really. So, and I think people will be wondering why we've called this an accessibility issue, because I mm. think competitions particularly have a lot of access needs across the board and we're not just talking about what you might necessarily think of as the obvious access need there are so many different things that as much as I enjoy doing a competition I absolutely can recognize the issues with them and I think I can also recognize that some of them are issues that aren't necessarily where the competition is the symptom of the issue not necessarily the cause of it mm. and there it spans the whole spectrum that some things are definitely the issue with the comp, whereas other things are the competition itself is not, you know, it's just where you see that issue become more obvious, you know? What have people told you? <laughs> I'm now really curious. I want to know. Um, okay, well, I mean, obviously it spans all sorts of things, but I think most of it, the, the discussions against cosplay competitions, I think is primarily around the discussion of elitism and the quote-unquote correct way to do cosplay. And if you have something, basically the argument seems to come down to, I'm kind of summarizing a couple of different people in my own analytical way, so I'm sorry if I'm misrepresenting. <laughs> um, but from what I understand, it's this idea that because there are competitions and these competitions have certain understandings of this is what will win, um, it means that sometimes those same understandings are brought down to even when you're not at a competition. So if you're walking around a con, what someone else might deem as a quote unquote good cosplay is following the same structures as what's in a competition. So handmade and accuracy. And those both of those can be really huge accessibility issues. Yes. I would say that's changing a lot. Particularly mm. in the UK community, I would say that is almost gone now, apart from in certain quarters. <laughs> like, I, I mean, I won't 
name names, but there are definitely certain areas of the community where that is still very much part of it and it, yeah. it is an issue. But I think in general, my experience is that the handmade and the accuracy are losing their grip on the community. I think handmade is not necessarily accuracy. Okay, that's interesting. A different perspective. Isn't it? I, I And I think it's primarily, um, when I talk about accuracy, it's not just the costume itself, but also the body who is ah, wearing okay, the costume. Yeah. Fair enough. Is often the thing that is critiqued for not being quote unquote accurate. Okay, then yes, absolutely. You're completely right. Yes. Because <laughs> there's me thinking like, people change the costumes up all the time. That's not an issue. Yeah. Well, and there and that is obviously yeah. also a question. And I, and I have only seen a handful of competitions, but I haven't seen that many people who take creative license do as well as the ones who haven't. No, and it's an issue that I, as somebody who is very much somebody who takes creative license with their costumes, I run up against that problem all the time. Mm. And it's something that I tend to get a bit frustrated by because I think there is a skill in creating something completely accurate. There is a skill that is different, but also valid in working out your own designs and showing how you got there. Like, I understand what they're saying is how do we judge those two things against each other? Like, I get that. But from my point of view of somebody who's done historical costume stuff and all that kind of thing, me going down the research route of being like, well, this is where I got it. This is how I've done it. I've used this technique to create this thing is, I think, just as much a skill as somebody who's recreated a completely authentic piece of Stormtrooper arm or something like that, you know? So there's a lot of, um, yeah, I would agree there's a lot of issues with that. I would also say that the issue with accurate bodies... I don't know if that comes from... I d- okay. It comes from a lot of it things. It comes from we'll a be- lot of things. Yeah, like, this is the thing. I'm like, I'm not sure if blaming competitions for that is fair. No, but I, I think it helps to reinforce that, yes. I think. Oh, yeah. I think yeah. the, the body one is one of those where when you were talking about the, the competition being a symptom rather yeah. than the cause, yeah. I think that's an example of that, of mm. there are certain bodies that society outside of cosplay tells you are appropriate bodies or yeah. okay bodies or the kinds of bodies that should be doing whatever. Mm-hmm. And that's not necessarily going to be suddenly dissolved in cosplay because no. cosplay is part of wider culture and that stuff yeah. is going to be there. So I would say that cosplay competitions often have issues that maybe things like beauty pageants and stuff also have Mm -hmm. um where they're trying to rectify that but it's it's difficult and there's a culture around them and all that kind of thing again it's why i brought the discworld trophy because i feel like that particular competition and the reason why i really wanted to enter it was because those issues of accuracy across the board if you're talking about accuracy and body type and accuracy in costume type are a lot less heavily critiqued in that competition. Do you think that's because it's originally literature? I think it might be. Yeah. I think it might be to do with the fact that it's a very specific fandom competition as well, that it's got, that that fandom knows the people within it, if that makes sense. Like, there is a, a type of person who's there, and they're very, they're kind of a bit different from your, maybe your regular, in inverted commas, yeah. con-goer. I don't know. Yeah, one of the cosplayers I spoke to was a person of, well, I've talked to a couple of people of color, but this particular person Mm. was a uh, a person of color. And they were talking about how they preferred a lot of the times to cosplay characters from literature because there wasn't as much, like, in-your-face understanding of what someone looks like in the same way as, say, a movie or a TV show would where you're looking at the character while with literature, you can kind of take your own creative license mm-hmm. and everyone everyone's imagination is doing that. So it's not like, oh, well, you're taking creative license with this canonized idea of what the character yeah. looks like. And I think particularly a few years ago, I would say maybe five, six, seven-ish years ago, there was a really big issue within cosplay of sort of the lookalike. And I don't think that's gone away. I think things like TikTok and stuff mm. have made that worse. But I very distinctly remember at the time there being this thing about like people who looked like the actor would be deemed as being a better cosplayer purely by the luck of the draw on DNA. Yeah. And it's like, well, they might be a very good cosplayer. That's not stopping them being a very good cosplayer. But just because they look like them doesn't mean they are the best cosplayer. Mm. That's that's so unnecessary. And I think when we're talking about things like when we talk about access to something like cosplay, you should not be looking at what that person. Yes, you're trying to become a character, but a, so is an actor. Just because that actor got cast doesn't mean another actor might not have been. So it could have looked completely different. That character could have looked completely different. 
And so I think there's people need to start start seeing it from that point of view. Yeah. Like this is just another actor cast in the role. Well, then people can't stand the idea of having James Bond not be a white man. Well, so, you know, <laughs> you know, like we said, wider society is racist, and there's yeah. just no getting away from that. But I, I think that this kind of comes down to one of the aspects of skill that you were talking about, and and when you were saying that there's that skill in accurate, like exacting, and the skill in transformation. But I think both of them demonstrate the same skill, which is knowledge of character. Yeah. And that, to me, is one of the greatest skills of cosplay. And it's one of the ones that when I was doing my own cosplay, Mm. I sucked at and I failed at was the kind of connection of knowing, oh, knowing myself enough to know what characters fit me. And and not necessarily in the way I look, but in the way I am. And there were a lot of cosplayers I talked to when I started asking them about, oh, do you ever give advice on people? And they said that they only tend to do it when it's someone that they know really well, like it's their best friend or it's their partner, they can do that because they know the person as a person. And so it's not just, oh, your facial structure looks like Adam Driver. So I guess you can do one of his characters. It's, it's, oh no, you have the personality that would really do well as this character. Exactly. And I think it's why we need, there is an issue within cosplay of the cosplayers and then the audience to the cosplayers, yes. right? <laughs> so the audience to the cosplayers are the people who are viewing it and they're judging it based on how much you, often, how much you look like the character, right? Not saying entirely, but a lot of those people who are looking at it are looking for the most, or, or like, copycatty, twin, whatever, mm. version of it. And that's not through any particular reason other than I think there's a lot of people who think that's what cosplay is. It's about doing that. It's a, whereas what they're misinterpreting is it's b- about becoming as much like the character as possible, but that's not necessarily a physical thing. Yes. That's, a, that's an emotional thing. It's a mental thing. It's a performance thing. Exactly, right? Whereas, and so the audience are looking for somebody who is the most, or I guess, authentically like the character, in inverted commas, there are lots of inverted commas here. Yes. Um, <laughs> in a physicality sense. And that's why you get a really weird reaction sometimes when they'll be like, but you don't look anything like that character. And it's like, doesn't mean they're not the character. Yeah. And I think a lot more cosplayers understand it from the other point of view. I'm not saying all of them do, because there are definitely issues within the community with people with bullying, with, with toxic comments and all this sort of stuff. But I think a lot more cosplayers and even more than that are coming around to the idea and understanding what it is that it doesn't... You don't need to do a makeup transformation. You don't need to be doing, like, making yourself look like... Uh, Margot Robbie if you want to be Barbie you don't need to look like um, all my head can think of is Dan Radcliffe (laughs) for some reason if you want to do something like that you know you don't need to look like them you just need to become them and it's embodying the character I don't look like very many actors or anything I don't think I look like any of the people that I've cosplayed as but I still think I do a pretty good job you know (laughs) Um, I get the other day I got called fandom tech because I look more like what the fandom draws Tech to look like than what he looks like in the show. Because <laughs> everyone draws him having curly hair, and I was like, I'll take that, <laughs> you know, which I thought was funny. Fair, but... I guess. Yeah, I was like, okay, cool, that's hilarious. Um, but there's a lot of stuff like that within cosplay, and I think this is where we again we come to the most obvious access thing, is that the moment you have anybody who is not able-bodied, mm. that people go, well, you're not you're not the character you're in a wheelchair or you're yes. using a mobility aid or you have to wear glasses or any of these things like there's a lot of stuff where people are like oh let me take my glasses off for the picture you know like, but you can't see <laughs> you know yeah. um or somebody might be like oh i don't want to have uh we have we were taking pictures yeah i was about to bring this up yeah and the amount of people we'd ask to take a picture and they'd hide their walking stick or they'd get up out of their wheelchair or something yeah there's someone like, getting out of their like walking aid yeah, and yeah. we were like no you don't you don't have to stand up what are you doing yeah the amount of times i'd be like please please don't don't feel like you have to hide that. and they're like no i want to i want to and it's just like that is tragic i mean obviously you don't that's probably not the right word i don't want to have people to ever have to feel it like, depends on why exactly, they want to exactly. yeah yeah it's like if you are in a position where you feel like you need to do that in order to be the character more I feel like that's quite you know there, there's two sides to that coin right you know where I would love people to feel comfortable enough to include their walking aid or yeah their particular their particular need for their whatever their um their disability is to be part of that character you know yeah I I heard so many crazy stories from disabled cosplayers about experiences with 
you know, ableism in cosplay that was just, it was just one of those things where I went, how, (laughs) just like, how is this Mm -hmm. something that people are even think? There was somebody who was talking about how people would just steal their mobility aids in the con because they thought they were props. But I was like, even if it was a prop, why would you just steal someone's prop that you don't know? Like, that just seems crazy to me. And so then they were like, just stranded in this one area of the con, unable to move because they didn't have their aid. And... Yeah. And someone in a wheelchair was just pushed to somewhere else against their will. There was somebody who was um, who uses a stick and was asked for a photo of their cosplay and so went to take their photo. And they said uh, the photographer went, oh, can you just like get the stick out of the photo? And they were like, well, I can't stand if I don't have the stick. And they said, well, but it's not accurate, is it? You know, (laughs) it's like it's just insane what what. Yeah, I'm really glad we have the camera because I feel like my face in that moment was just like, what I know, is and it was just, you know, and it's hard when you're listening to these stories because you're just like, and people were trying to like, oh, you know, because I'm, there was somebody that was like, oh, because I'm autistic, I don't like when people touch me without my permission. And I was like, I don't think anyone likes to be touched without your permission. I don't think, like, that's not okay no matter what you're having, yeah. you know? Oh my God. But, and they do, again, if you come back to the competitions, the most basic thing, which a lot of competitions don't have, is a ramp. Right? Yeah, there are, most competitions they have stairs up to the stage, or they you're just expected to step up onto the stage, which means a lot of cosplayers who are either in wheelchairs or need mobility aids of any description have to walk in front of the stage if they're in, if they're able to take part. Which means they're not even getting that moment that everyone else is going. They're literally put on an unequal footing. Yeah, to that because they're down and people can't see them, and the fact that that's a thing I think is really bad like because actually it would take so little for an event to think we need to put a ramp in place right and it's really difficult for those cosplayers to you know maybe ask for that or know that they might want it because a lot of the time masquerades are sign up on the day and all that kind of stuff yeah so you can't necessarily ask ahead of time so having something like a ramp as a like instead of just just don't have stairs just have a ramp instead everyone can use a ramp you know yeah everyone can use stairs and I think just having that kind of thing and including things like the amount of conventions that don't have a hearing loop, like is you'd think that would be something that would just be there, obviously. But yeah, there really are some issues with, with access that <sighs> even when you're looking at it from like a really, um, you know, uh, the first level before you even start thinking about like all the things that build up on top of that, it, often it's just not there, you know? Mm. Often those really basic things of having ramps having you know the hearing loop having disabled toilets be more accessible having making sure that people are able to get in and out of disabled access and all this sort of stuff they're just not at conventions so if you're a cosplayer who's wanting to go to a convention you're often limited before you even get to the event you have to pick which event you think it's going to be worth you giving up your energy and your time for because you know you're going to have to use a lot of it more than maybe anybody else yeah Um, Quick note to any able-bodied cosplayers, if you need to change your outfit while you are at a con, do not use the disabled toilet. Disabled people need to use that for toileting. (laughs) Sorry. I feel like you didn't have to say it, didn't you? (laughs) It's just one of the many things that I heard. Oh um, my goodness. In case people were not aware that that was an issue. Yeah. But I I also think that, like, this comes down to that thing of um, looking for accuracy in costumes as well. Because a lot of disabled cosplayers feel like they can't even... Not only that can they not access physically the stage and all yes. that kind of stuff, but they're going to be marked down in a competition if they haven't done, gone above and beyond, right? So I've definitely seen issues in competitions where a disabled cosplayer has been entering and there's been comments from judges of like, oh, why didn't you make your your stick or your chair part of your costume? And that's asking more than you would ask an able-bodied cosplayer to do, right? Because you're not going to say to an able-bodied cosplayer, oh, well, why didn't you add this thing, you know, an extra component? Whereas, like, just because they need an access aid shouldn't, or a mobility aid shouldn't mean that they have to incorporate that into the costume to be considered accurate. Well, and this is also an issue that's kind of required of people of color as well. So makeup, for example, most makeup is made for lighter skin toned people. And so if somebody wanted to cosplay as, you know, an alien from Star Wars that's green and they are a black person, they actually have to do two layers Mm -hmm. of skin, of body makeup. So they need to put one thing on to whiten their skin and then a second layer of the color. 
And that's extra work, that's extra money, and that also is more possibilities of mistakes that could mark them down. And, you know, these are the kinds of things that, and obviously a competition might not necessarily be able to maybe keep that in mind in the same way, but that's often an issue with the makeup industry, that they are not providing this kind of stuff. But also if you're then going against a white person who is cosplaying as a similar character... Mm. It's an issue. I think this is what I was saying about the fact that cosplay competitions tend to be the most obvious symptom yeah. of a wider problem because they're so easy. It's you see all of it come out, right? It's the moment. Basically, it's the open wound, right? Yeah, you can't not see what's going wrong in those situations because it's so obvious. Um, and I think some of that comes down to the fact and what things they can change in it as well ways they can improve is making sure that judging panels are really diverse, making sure that judging panels are accessible to everybody. So that you have it that everybody who's on that panel has not only different expertise, but also comes from different backgrounds and has different ways of thinking about things. Because a lot of judging panels are very white. They are able-bodied. They are, uh, you know, people tend to be... Thinner? Thinner, <laughs> yeah, I guess. Um, and so you kind of have a very ob- a kind of a traditional standard of, of beauty and ex- access- um, acceptability mm-hmm. on those panels. Whereas actually if you start considering a a more diverse judging panel and that includes things like thinking about age and thinking about you know uh needs race all those kinds of stuff and you start making sure that people are open about talking about those things then then the competitions are going to become more accessible because if a judge is there going well i can't get up on the stage because i don't have a mobility aid a competition is more likely to think about it than if a contestant is, which is sad, but it's true. Because yeah. a judge is going to know ahead of time more more likely than anybody else. And it's going to be part of asking them, right? If you're approaching somebody who you know is going to be uh, in a wheelchair or is going to be needing a stick or is going to be needing any kind of uh, hearing loop or something like that, I'm using these as the more kind of obvious physical things, uh, you're going to be putting that in place before you even think about the competitors because your judge is there needing it, right? Yeah. And that's also true of, like, if you have a person of colour as a judge, they're already going to be thinking about things like, well, I know how you're going to be doing your makeup, I know mm-hmm. how you're going to be doing your hair because that's how I would yeah, be doing Yeah, I was going right? to say, there was a really interesting, there was a person that I was talking to, another person of colour that was talking about how they learned primarily on how to do everything in regards to cosplay from talking to other people, but also a lot of the times from YouTube tutorials and TikTok and all of those kinds of how-to things. Mm -hmm. And most of the wig tutorials are teaching you how to do it over white hair. And black hair is very different. And so they had to just learn by doing when it came to that. And that, you know, if... I don't know if they did competitions. I didn't... I don't Mm -hmm. know if I asked them. But it's super interesting because when I was learning how to style wigs, because I was looking at styling a more kind of... I wasn't looking at the anime style wigs because I tend to do short hair, realistic style wigs. I was looking at how black women install a weave right. or how they install a unit because yeah. that's they're looking at a more realistic type of hair and so I ended up looking at those types of things rather than uh, cosplay tutorials mm. and I feel like I learned an awful lot from that community and it was incredible and I would absolutely recommend that if you aren't looking at those videos you should go and look at them also drag queens my goodness <laughs> drag queens know how to do a wig uh, and drag queens come in every shape size and colour under the sun you know <laughs> like, yeah uh, if there's any community that is, is showing you how to do everything, it's the drag community. <laughs> but there's a huge... I think people... If you, This is, I think, where we cosplay kind of falls down because a lot of people look for cosplay tutorials and don't reach outside of that to wider communities. And cosplay is very uh, uh, mono-aesthetic at the moment still, that you kind of have quite pale-skinned people doing the tutorials and becoming kind of well known i say as those people yes (laughs) you know we're you know but i think it's the more you kind of as a cosplayer as whether you have a platform like we do or whether you have a you're just doing it it's just your hobby or whatever you're just there but the more you reach out to other people in different parts of the community the more you give them views the more you uh shout them out on your instagram and say i got this tutorial from here and all that kind of stuff that is the best way to start changing how the community looks so I think that one of the best things people can be doing to change these issues with access and change these things is pushing for conventions to have different guests, pushing for conventions to have different people on workshops and panels and looking to different people to be on those judging panels as well as the competitors themselves. Because if you don't see those people, nobody's going to think they can do it, you know? 
Oh, and that includes stuff like the banners for the convention, like the advertising, right? Yeah. The more people you have who are different in your advertising, the more people are going to think they can go to that space. And that's a really important thing. Mm. But with access, like, what are the other sort of things that people have said to you? Because I can't, uh, you know. <laughs> so the the big ones, the big ones were the, the ones that we've kind of talked about, the symptoms of there being issues of, you know, wider problematic aspects of society just penetrating into cosplay like the ableism like racism um and all that kind of stuff but the other one was a huge issue with financials yes and financial aspects of cosplay and how there are different levels of different ways to do cosplay um because of different financial requirements which is fine but that certain people who have to say um either buy cosplays or do what i did for mine which was go to thrift stores and pick up pieces and then either alter those pieces to fit your body or fit your cosplay as the cheaper alternative are not sometimes seen as as good of cosplayers as people who hand make everything um and that is an issue. And a lot of the problems with talking about the financials, because you can sit there and say, oh, well, this person spent, I met someone who spent like 400 quid on one cosplay, which is a lot of money. Most of the people that I talked to were actually 100 and under who bought uh, because they bought, uh, one person said that they bought secondhand. Uh, a lot of people will buy a cosplay, wear it a couple of times and then go to sell it. Which is really good. Which is fair. And it means not only are you recycling, but you're also... You're getting your money back a little bit. And you're giving other people a chance to have a costume they wouldn't necessarily be able to afford. Yeah, so they said that they... I think the most expensive one they said was about 150 and that was they splurged it. It was for a friend kind of a thing. Um, So it was I'm not going to say how much any of my stuff costs. Um... It it's, was always a very tricky question. Yeah. And there were two questions where I was like, you know, if you if you don't want to answer, that's fine. And one of them was, what's your gender? And the other one was, how much do you spend on your cosplays? <laughs> yeah. And it was so, like, okay, you don't I, have to tell me. I will answer this question because I feel like it's worth saying. I make maybe one costume every two years. I right. spend a long period of time making a big build and I'll then do smaller things in between that, which will be using up stuff that I already have in a fabric stash. I'm very lucky that obviously I have people around me who can be like oh i want do you want this fabric you can have it or whatever or i do a lot of stuff based out of uh charity shop bins and things like that you know a lot of charity shops have really good fabric in them people should go and look yes there's a lot of good stuff like that but i tend to do one big build that's my expensive build that i'm putting money into over 18 months to two years maybe even more than that right and so the money spreads out and that's the only way i can do it it's the only way i can afford to do those builds and then i wear them a lot yeah, and I think being transparent about that's really a really good thing. It's not just I have lots of expensive costumes. It's I cannot afford to have a new expensive costume every other month. I want to spend a lot of time and effort and m- the money I do have into this build that may then end up being very expensive at the end of it. But it wasn't in one go. Yeah, and I think a lot of people, a lot of that comes down to this thing of uh, particularly again an access thing, right? If you can just continuously spend money, you're going to have a new thing every week. Or you're going to be able to commission a new thing, or you're going to be able to buy a new thing, or you're going to be able to build things very quickly because you can get the machinery to do it. Because obviously the machinery involved in making yes. costumes is expensive in and of itself. Like, the handmaking comes with a lot of inbuilt expense because you can't start doing it until you've spent a hundred, two hundred pounds on a sewing machine or foam equipment or leather working you know there's a lot yeah there's a lot well and there's also um a hidden cost of space so a lot of the people that i spoke to the younger people that i spoke to were at uni they lived in a bedroom some of those bedrooms were probably not up to snuff of size of bedroom (laughs) that they should be renting out um and you know where are they gonna spread out fabric to be able to cut where are they going to be able to set up a sewing machine they barely doing that there was one person that I spoke to. They were sat on their bed to talk to me. Um, I was on Zoom. I wasn't just like shoved in their closet. <laughs> but um, I could see their whole room from the Zoom screen. And it was pretty much just a bed. Yep. It was a bed and they were balancing me on their lap in their bed. And I could see the door in their closet and the walls. And it was like, where where so, would they be able to do anything? When I was at uni, and there's a re- so I don't do a lot of phone working. And there's a reason for that. And it's because the majority of my time learning to make cosplay was when i was at university and i had a meter of floor space by i think three meters so like the length of my bed plus like another meter wide yeah 
and then a desk and that was it and i could just about maneuver fabric around on that space to cut out on or i would be sitting on my bed and doing it and so there was absolutely no way that i could keep and use and store foam or the tools required to do that in that space it just wasn't going to happen yeah and so of course for me it became i have to like i could store fabric because it could just go under the bed and all that kind of stuff but storing anything else and that's why i feel like i've ended up with this very specific thing of i do fabric costumes because when i was learning i did not have the ability to do anything else i yeah. couldn't do anything else i was in a tiny dorm room like i couldn't have done resin casting or anything <laughs> yeah like i mean for me right now because i've started getting into sewing because of talking to cosplayers and primarily you pushing me to finally do it it's my fault uh, <laughs> and it, it i mean i live in a two bed a very very tiny two bed and i have my sewing machine is sat next to my kitchen table and every time i sew i have to pull it out and set it up and I have to cut yeah. on my dining table. And if we have something else going on on the dining table, I can't do it. Yeah. And I'm lucky in the space that I have. And so when we talk about space, you know, the extra cost in rent, the extra cost in mortgage, if you're very lucky enough yeah. to be able to buy a place, like this stuff is also cost to being yeah. able to do that, that I don't think sometimes people think about necessarily. No, there are so many hidden costs to this as a hobby. It's very difficult to know what people are going to be able to do and some people do the most incredible things the most you i have no idea how some people do it in the space they have because i'm like you are literally doing this in a bedroom and a kitchen on a shoestring budget and that's incredible yeah you know but i also think that we need to be very aware of the fact that those people are massively massively dedicated and they are giving everything to it and other people just aren't able to do that for whatever reason. And nor should there, they yes. feel the pressure to do it. It can know? be for multiple reasons. You cannot feel able to... Because, I mean, you have to privilege hobbies. I mean, we're talking about cosplay and cosplayers as if that's the only thing that they do in their yeah. life. But that's not the case. You have other hobbies and other interests and other things and other responsibilities. And yeah. and that is perfectly fine. But then on top of that, there are certain people that you just don't have the mental capacity to yeah. do that and that is also and that's again when we talk about accessibility you know that's another one of you know particularly at cons being overwhelmed by senses um being overwhelmed by i mean it's overwhelming for the most yeah. able-bodied able-minded of people let alone like if you are dealing with extra stuff on top of that yeah i mean i have autism which we've definitely not talked about before <laughs> Um, <laughs> is that in line with Tolkien? <laughs> no, no, we'll only mention the fact that they're autistic. Um, this podcast sponsored by autism. <laughs> <laughs> but the thing is, like, I have made the decision for myself because I love what I do that I have. Be- I am able to go and say that this week I'm going to give everything to the to going to a con to wearing my costumes, mm-hmm. and then because I am lucky enough and I am privileged enough to be in a position where I can then work from home. I can then take the time the week after to recover from that. Yeah. I am unusual in that. Not that many people can do that. And I am super aware of it. And I would also probably not recommend it to anyone else to do it because it's horrible. (laughs) When you're there like, oh, I've had a great weekend and now I'm not going to be able to talk or speak. Like, look at anybody for two days. Yay. Um, If you're in a position to be able to choose what your priorities are, you can choose those priorities, but not yes. everyone is in that. Not position, everyone can. You know? Like for me, I this is part of what I do as my work. Cosplay is part of my job, all that kind of stuff. And so I have to be able to make certain choices to continue doing my job because of the cosplay and the cons and uh, talking about it and talking to people like you and stuff like that. Is I have to do it. <laughs> you have to talk. I have to, me. to talk. You're to not you. talking to me because you like me. It's I because know. you have to. Oh, it's nice for me to know this now. <laughs> Please free me. She's keeping me hostage. Uh, she keeps giving me citations to read. <laughs> I can't oh read God. another anthropologist. But yes, no. Um, <laughs> but you know, I like. I do think that people see those of us who are able to make those decisions for ourselves because we're in a privileged position to be able to do it, and assume that everyone should or must do that as well and that's just not fair like i would much rather not have my disability that makes it that i spend a week having to just completely recover from that i would much rather that would be really nice not having can you imagine god it must be lovely um 
And so it's not fair to push that on people and say, and make them feel like they have to be at every event, that they have to come to every convention, they have to have a new costume every time because they don't have the ability to do it, whether that is physical, mental, financial, literal space, time, any of those things. Yeah. It, people, I think there is a lot of pressure, particularly now through things like social media and stuff yes. like that. I was going to say, I think that another important aspect of this that we should talk about, which is maybe somewhat related to competitions, but probably a little bit outside, so sorry. Um, but that's the role of the um, quote-unquote professional cosplayer. Oh no, I'm about to get roasted. Um, and I... <laughs> I think it's really interesting because I've I've spoken to a couple of people that I would define as a professional cosplayer because they make money through their relationship or act of cosplaying. Yeah. By definition, <laughs> this would be a professional cosplayer. However, one of those people is you. Yeah. Another one of those people is one of the people that I talked to. Both of you said, oh, no, I'm not a professional cosplayer. What are you talking about? <laughs> Yeah, I wouldn't say I would. Which is it. I would not describe myself as that. I have cosplay is adjacent and part of it, but I wouldn't say that it is what I do. But that's the case for everybody. That's true. like I hate to, to in case anyone is listening that doesn't know this. All professional cosplayers are doing other things. Yeah. Like Jess Kanigri has her OnlyFans. She yeah. needs her. If she was just cosplaying, I don't think she'd be able to make a living off of no. that. Uh, she'd probably be able to make some money, a nice amount. Maybe she could work part-time instead of... But she would need that extra income. There are people who make cosplays and builds for companies. That's how they make their money. They make how-to books and they sell them. And that's how they make their money. Um, as well as these other things. You mm. need to have those multi-strands. That's just being a freelancer in yeah. general. Um, but I... So, yeah. I, I just find it... But I think that the role of the professional has meant that there are those stressors on the people who are hobbyists. And this is the case for all hobbies. I don't want to, you know, cosplay isn't special in this regard. You know, my husband, for example, is an amateur photographer. He doesn't want to be a professional photographer. He's not interested in being a professional photographer. He just really enjoys it. But he's constantly comparing himself to professional photographers. And it's like, well, but you're not that. So I don't know why you're... But so I get it. Yeah. But... And I think also people need to be aware that a lot of the time prof professional cosplayers, professional people within the community have uh, managed that through either training or luck, uh, both a lot of the time. Yeah. And, uh, and also... A lot of it is to do with the fact that you might just get lucky on social media or mm -hmm. that kind of thing. And there is no there is no point in comparing yourself to somebody who is being sponsored. There is no point comparing yourself to somebody who has been sent a new sewing machine and being sent a load of fabric and all that kind of stuff. That There is literally no reason to do that. But it's hard not to. It's really hard not to. Like, you see someone on, on TikTok who's got 100,000 likes on a video of them making a costume or wearing a costume and you're gonna think even i you know this is something i do all the time and every day and also and even i'll be there like oh no one like my video that much oh well maybe i need to try harder maybe i need to you know do Get more good. yeah exactly <laughs> and it's not about that it's about that person just hit something yeah you know i of the people that i spoke to i thought it was interesting that only one yeah, I think only one of the people that I spoke to was interested in being a professional cosplayer. There were more that I spoke to that had at one point wanted to be a professional and then have since dropped the ambition so yeah. much because it just wasn't worth it. Um, but I found it really fascinating that despite that, there were all of those, particularly on social media, that stressor of being a good cosplayer and what that means and how that is defined and what that looks like. And um, there was one person who said that they just don't, they just don't have socials um, that they do any kind of cosplay on. They don't define themselves as cos, they don't post their cosplays on socials because they just don't, it's like, I'm not going to even step foot in that or it's going to affect me. Yeah. I think that's really sad because obviously particularly to start with, with social media, it was a wonderful place to find other cosplayers. And it yeah. was what have made it. And social media was part of what made cosplay what it is now. You wouldn't, it wouldn't be where it is now if it wasn't for particularly your early social medias and your early sites like DeviantArt and stuff like that. 
um, and even early Facebook and early Instagram, that meant that people could find this. Uh, even MySpace, I would say, had a hand in it. I am not quite old enough to remember MySpace. <gasps> I didn't have one. What? We're the same age. Yeah, but How I do you not? My parents wouldn't let me. Oh. <laughs> I was feral, apparently. <laughs> <laughs> they wouldn't let me have them. Um, which is probably I, sensible. I had, a, I had a MySpace page for like a band one that was for my air band when I was in middle school. And so you could post up like your audio files. And so it was various uh, like three minutes, two and a half minutes, a minute and whatever of just silence. And they all had different names. <laughs> that's so, such like, that's such an art kid thing to do. Oh my God. Like the level of meta commentary involved in that. That's so funny. Oh, I might have to edit that out so it's not like catalogued somewhere. <laughs> oh but it's just anytime God. someone mentions MySpace, I just think of <laughs> my air band page. Yeah, no. Oh, God. Oh. But yeah, like social media was there to give people, like, particularly unusual communities like cosplayers that it helped them thrive yeah and now well, it's kind and, of and now i think and i think it still is i, think I was about to really say it is. still is i think that it's very easy to point out all the bad stuff on social media and it's stuff that people love to do mm-hmm. <laughs> and how i do it and and it's there and it's it's you shouldn't ignore it but it has also provided a way for people to band together and not just cosplayers but also those communities within the cosplay community it has allowed yeah. a black cosplayer to see other black cosplayers and feel better about being a black cosplayer and feel more confident in their body yeah. when they go to a con um that a there are other people it's not all just skinny white women it's it's there's also other people yeah. that are cosplaying it meant that disabled cosplayers can find yeah. each other i mean there's wonderful groups like uh you know cosplaying over 40 where people yeah. join and stuff like that because there is definitely a in the media and the way like cosplayers presented there's definitely a, a skewing towards the younger cosplayers which they've always been older cosplayers like always but also people forget that people age yes you know you don't stop liking your hobby because what? you age it's not like you age out the top or something like that and i think actually being very vocal about that and being very open because ageism is one of those ones that i think gets lost off the list mm-hmm. sometimes you know that there is definitely an ageism issue within cosplay. There really, really is, you know. And people are told, you can't cosplay that character because you're too old. Like, oh, you look old. You can't be them. Which is stupid and ridiculous. And, like, there's an expectation that you'll only cosplay characters who are... Also old? Yeah. Which is... <laughs> I mean, yeah. I mean, co- you know, Sophie from House Moving Castle is awesome. But there aren't that many old female characters that people can cosplay. There aren't that many old characters in general. Yeah. There are more for guys... But you know, you. I mean, is that the case for all aspects of women? (laughs) Yes. Yeah. 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 Don't you're not allowed to exist beyond thirty-five. I mean, that's being kind of generous, isn't it? That's being very generous. (laughs) I didn't want to be really, really depressing. But I was going to bring this up. So uh, my, I've mentioned this before, but my in-laws' costume, Mm -hmm. uh, they have. I think started using cosplay since we started talking. I'm not sure. I mentioned this in the Tolkien episode that they didn't define themselves as cosplayers, but now they've been more recently talking to me about their cosplays. So I don't know if they've started it or I don't know. Um, That's that's a separate, you know, anthropological Vivian being like, oh, that was really fascinating. Take notes, even though I'm not allowed to because I made a promise to my husband that I'll never study his family. But um, the the point is that they told me about how they went to Sci-Fi Scarborough. It's their big one that they go to every year because they live up in that general area. And um, this last year, they had their costume cosplay competition was divided into these different categories that you were talking about, but it was also, it was differentiated by how the costume came to be. So whether it was store-bought or handmade Mm -hmm. and by age. So an older person who bought a costume isn't competing with a 20-year-old who made a costume or vice versa. Like you're not, you're not competing in that sense. No, and I think that's a good thing because it's, as much as I don't, I think that once you get to the point of over-categorization, it, it becomes almost redundant because you've got too many categories in mm. a competition. But I think making sure that things like skill level, like uh, ability, like, you know, all those kinds of stuff are taken into consideration. You 
you make it a, a fairer playing field. Because I think if you just said black cosplayers can only cosplay against black cosplayers, well, that would yeah. be insane and very racist. That would, yeah. You know, <laughs> no, like, we, no. we're not going to do that, you know. And so, which is what I mean about the idea that you don't want to over-categorise. Yeah. Getting to, working out where categories should be and what lines they should run along is quite an important and very difficult thing for competitions to do in order to make sure they are fair. Because everyone should get a chance to compete because there is a performance element. The play element of cosplay is just as important as the costume-making element of it. And if you are somebody who pushes performance, but you don't really like making, you shouldn't be, you know, you should be allowed to enter the competition, but in a different way. Yeah. And I think a lot of competitions need to consider that more uh, as a bigger, more relevant part to have a performance category that is strictly a performance category. Yeah. But it's difficult, isn't it? But, and also because age, as much as like lots of people would say you know, you might have more experience, but that doesn't necessarily mean... No, you could have just started. Exactly. But I, Yeah, because I, I don't know... I think that my in-laws... Oh, this is showing how little I know about them. I think I think it's a little bit of a more recent thing. Um, because, you know, you had kids and were having to function and all those other responsibilities that we were talking about before that you had to put before doing these things. And it's been this new one that they have. They just converted the guest bed that was supposed to be only reserved for Christmas has now been converted into a big craft space for them to make costumes. And mm-hmm. um, But they have been doing historical reenactment for a while. Mm. They're really into doing Anglo-Saxon reenactments. Um, so they always handmade everything yeah. because that's, that's they didn't yeah. have sewing machines back then. Mm. Um, so, But now they're making their costumes for cosplay competitions, but still doing all the handmade stuff. I love that. So um, I think my father-in-law just finished doing a huge coat that wow. he was doing, <laughs> doing wow. by hand. Man's a trooper. <laughs> Yeah. Couldn't but do it. <laughs> it. It was really fascinating because we were having a conversation with them about they were trying to decide what characters to do and stuff, and we were kind of chatting with them. They wanted to do a Discworld to bring it back to our Discworld. But um, my father in law was kind of going, Oh, I don't know which ones would be that recognizable outside. And my husband offered one, and um, I can't remember their name because I don't read Discworld yet. Um, but they uh, they offered this one character, and they were like, oh, no, no, that wouldn't be recognizable. And then when we were at MCM, there was someone cosplaying as that character doing exactly what my husband was like. Oh, yeah, you can just do this. Was it the wizard hat? It was the wizard with hat with wizard spelled different, <laughs> yeah. uh, wrong. And Everyone who sees that, everybody who saw that would go, oh, it's Rincewind. Well, because that's what my husband said. He's like, yeah. all you have to do is dress like a wizard, but have it spelled wrong on your hat, and it'll, everyone will know who you are yeah and and he was like oh i don't know and then we saw it you and we're like oh it's that guy you said the amount of people who recognize my Discworld costume from the fact that i have a gold winged hat on i didn't even have to wear in the jacket yeah. i definitely had it just wearing the hat and the, and the waistcoat and the trousers and people still get it they go oh you're always fun that big can i can i tell the people a story about mm. you oh, um God. and this is my example of why i would define you as a professional cosplayer is we were at mcm yes i was behind the cosplay journal booth helping y'all out this person uh who's cosplaying as moist you you were like oh i love your cosplay this person (laughs) started freaking out i think they were crying <laughs> oh my god, I started cosplaying because of you. Yeah. That happens. And yeah. It's it's lovely. It's a little strange. <laughs> Cuz I'm like, oh my god, people know who I am and uh, Oh, but you know, I'm not a professional. People don't know who I am. I'm just <laughs> I'm just inspiring people to cosplay certain characters <laughs> and then they cry when they see me and they want my autograph. <laughs> Yeah, but I'm not like Yaya Han, you know. I'm not Kamui. Only because you don't think of yourself that way. I don't want to think of myself. Like, uh, the other person who I... I'll tell you their name later, but um, the other person that I interviewed that I would consider a professional cosplayer mentioned that the reason why they don't define themselves as that is because they don't, and I'm going to use quotes here, take it as seriously as the other people do. Which I think is very hard to determine from a distance. Yeah. And it's like, if you're making a living off of it, that's a certain level of serious. And, but if you're having fun with it, do you not think that Kamui is having fun or Yaya Han is having fun? You know what I mean? Like, it's, yeah. 
it's it was an interesting distinction i think that i think it's difficult i think for some people it's very difficult because i know that people look at the cosplay journal and think oh my god you guys are so professional and we're just there going we're making up as we go along we don't know what we're doing um but it happens to be that those of us who make the journal the the core team who make it are the ones who have skills that we're able to offer in order for it to be what it is because we happen to have those things just in you know egg is a photographer i am a writer moira our designer is a designer so we're able to sit down and do those things together that doesn't mean we're taking it particularly seriously and i think people would look at it and go you guys taking this so seriously and we're like nah we just had a really fun time making this well it always comes down to that thing of we always draw these distinctions between play and serious as if they can't cross and of course it can yeah but it's i just find it really fascinating that there are these these determinations and I I think I mention this primarily because if you are somebody who is thinking that you are incredibly stressed out because you have to follow through and and look like all of these other people who are professionals or you have to do what the professionals do, you know, they're having fun. Yeah. And ultimately, at the end of the day, and so should you. Yeah, and also <laughs> a lot of them, because you'd be amazed how many people will turn up to a convention having not finished their costume i think even if you see someone think they're the most amazing thing in the world you don't know what corners they've had to cut to get that thing finished that you don't see that they know about but nobody else knows about or the fact is that like i've definitely turned up to conventions in costumes where i've gone this isn't finished yet i'm gonna finish for the next one but i just want to wear it and nobody else cares it's only me who cares so don't stress yourself out about it it's not worth it i ran into at megacon manchester there was somebody whose costume was amazing it turns out it's from critical role i don't watch critical role or anything so i have no idea who they were but it was a really cool looking costume no they were like a fawn person oh i'm gonna um, be shouted out in comments and stuff about who this is sure yeah. um i mean it looked rad yeah. and so and i went up to them and i was like wow you look really oh, cool no, fun fun sure yeah um but I, they looked really good and i went up to them i was like i have no idea who you are i didn't say that but i was like but you look that's an amazing costume because mm-hmm. it really was it was an amazing costume and this person started crying because they were like it i thought i looked like crap no one has said anything uh, you know oh. uh, and this was like maybe by like two in the afternoon and we kept seeing them at like a distance yeah and we were like, oh, my God, that's the person. And so I finally saw them sitting down for, like, a lunch. And I was like, I'm really sorry to bother you. Because <laughs> I always hate talking to people at lunch. But it's, like, the one time that I feel like they're not in the middle of doing something. Yeah. And so I was like, I'm really sorry to bother you. But you look awesome. And, uh, and you know, but it was, like, that thing of, like we were saying, I had no idea that they were struggling so much. Or that they felt oh. like they hadn't completed something. Or that it wasn't the way that it was supposed mm-hmm. to be. Because it looked great yeah. to me it looks amazing it's something that again i think this comes down to that thing the social media the fast turnover the having to stay relevant the all of this kind of stuff which following is, trends it's silly ignore it it's not necessary like the fact is this trophy that i have here that has triggered this whole discussion i won with a costume that i had spent a good three years making remaking fixing wearing to events having something go wrong changing it making new parts because I needed to fix all of that kind of stuff. It has gone through, I think maybe three or four iterations of various different, in various different ways of me getting it to a point that I was then like, this is ready to go on stage, you know, but every single time I wore it, I had the best time. It didn't matter that it was breaking. It didn't matter that I ripped something. It didn't matter that I needed to remake it. I still loved wearing it. Yeah. And I think that's something that is super important that you can do that and you can remake, you can fix, you can finish mm-hmm. afterwards. There's you a know, person, there are more chances. Yeah, one of the people that I spoke to who I think it was Bailey. Bailey or Charlie? I can't remember. I made up names for everybody, so I can never <laughs> remember what they were. But um, in it, they were telling me it was about this making versus buying versus how it is and all this kind of stuff conversation. And they said that they, they do both buying and handmaking, mm-hmm. depending on circumstances and time and money and all that kind of stuff. And um, they said that there were pieces of costume that they had slaved over for so long. They had spent so much money on, they had handmade, and they put it on and they hated wearing it. And at the end of the day, they said that that made it not a good cosplay because they didn't want to wear it. They yeah. did not like it. They did not enjoy it. And then they could buy a piece and they'll love it. And it just depends on so many other factors that saying, you know, oh, well, it has to be this way is just not, it's not a way to think about it, I think. 
I would say, like, to kind of round this off, one of my favourite cosplays that I do is... And one of the fav- and the reason it's my favourite is because of the reaction I get from other people around it, is uh, Jonathan Sims, the archivist from the Magnus Archives, which is essentially wearing what I am wearing right now, which is just my clothes. <laughs> um, I mean, to be slightly- fair, you always look like you're wearing a costume. Yeah, no, that's valid. Um, I do live my life as if I exist in the 1930s. Um, but A 1930s, like, linguist professor or something. That's the vibe. It's, yeah. It's definitely, I, kind of, I have this thing of, like, if I don't look like I'm about to, like, run into Cthulhu at any given point, I'm not living my life correctly. Um, but John is this one of these characters that I absolutely adore, and I, I wanted to cosplay him because there was that ease for me. It was like, oh, cool, I could literally just buy some stuff that I'll wear every day and I can wear it every day but it'll also be him but there are certain things that I add to it or like play with the makeup and the hair and all that kind of stuff in a way that makes it very clear that I'm being that character and it's no I there was no effort involved in it but I love it and it's so much fun and I wear it all the time and I get such a wonderful reaction from other fans to that costume mm. and that is at the complete opposite end of my Discworld stuff which I put a huge amount of time and effort and money and all that kind of stuff in but they both have a very similar feeling when I wear them. I get a very similar, like, yay, I'm being this character, you know. And be like, oh, I'm being John, that's so exciting. Or, oh, I'm being Moist, that's so exciting. But they are at such opposite ends of the spectrum of what a cosplay build can be. That I feel like that shows that you should be able to have that joy in costume, no matter how much or how little you're able to give to it in that moment. That, like, it, you should not feel the pressure to be the best thing ever i mean it, i say that say as i you know. say do as i say not as i do well, and you also know? it's always so much easier to be like don't be anxious yeah why don't you just not be sad anymore <laughs> like you know it's it's not exactly stuff that it's much easier to say than to do but i i think maybe try your hardest to keep that in mind mm-hmm. and also just remember that sometimes sometimes you're gonna find more joy in having a good time with your friends for the weekend than everything going 100% right and again it's really difficult but try and shift your focus onto it it's your hobby you're meant to enjoy it you're meant to have fun rather than I'm not keeping up with the latest trends or I'm not doing what's popular or I'm not popular or any of that kind of stuff because that way madness lies trust me um yeah. <laughs> um but also for those people who do have the ability to help push to make those spaces better push to make spaces more accessible because not everybody can and it shouldn't be down to the people who need the access to be doing it for themselves it should be down to the community to rally around them to lift them up to help them get that space like there's no point in telling someone oh you can't you know you're not good enough you can't be a cosplayer all this sort of stuff uh and then tell them well go make your own space then because that's not fair you should make a space they're in you shouldn't be telling that at all. You should be going, oh my God, of course you're a cosplayer. Let us make the space better for you so you can be part of it. Says me, who is busy and tired. <laughs> <laughs> and trying to... I feel like that's what a lot of what we're doing on this podcast is about. I feel like it's well, a lot of what we do, I do at the journal, what your book is about, is to try and do those spaces and to build those spaces as best we can and to be part of that. I'm not going to say we're, we're the answer to the problem because everybody has to help, yeah. but... I would like I to think, think we add a little bit you to know it. try to to hear voices that aren't your mm-hmm. own and that's I think the biggest way of learning like there's so many aspects of like we were talking about you might not think about certain aspects of what other people have to think about or deal with if you're not that person mm-hmm. or that group and so maybe talk to them and hear about what they have to do or think about yeah. or deal with in order to then learn oh then maybe I if I am putting together a competition I shouldn't do these things or I should ask about these things at this competition, even though it doesn't affect me. Yeah. Um, yeah. I think that's a good little <laughs> message to end the the podcast on. Yeah. Is good. this is this the last one of the season? It is. Yeah. Well, we'll have a we're having a Christmas special. Yay! Because of course. So we'll be back. So go and subscribe. We're on everywhere you listen to podcasts. So Apple, Spotify. Pocket Casts, Podcast Addict, Deezer, Stitcher, I think, is going away, but we're there until it goes away. Or on we're YouTube. Google? Yeah. <laughs> we're... You can find us anywhere. 
We're there. Yeah. Um, so go and subscribe so you can get it when it comes out. And that way you can also see when season two. <gasps> season two. Which we have already started planning oh, yeah. because we're insane. We're so prepared. <laughs> it's amazing. It's almost like we don't have anything else to do with our time. <laughs> it's almost like I don't have a book due soon. <laughs> what? But anyway. Anyway, thank you so much for listening. Uh, I have been Holly Swinyard and I will be again, hopefully. I have been Vivian. We'll see if that remains to be the case. (laughs) Bye! Bye! (laughs) Thanks for listening. Remember to like, review and subscribe wherever you listen to this podcast and do give it a share. Tell your friends, family and fellow fans and get the word out. You can follow us on social media, links in the show notes as are some links to further reading. Who doesn't like a reading list? We are nerds after all. Music for this episode was Nowhere Land by Kevin MacLeod, licensed under Creative Commons Attribute 3.0. This episode was produced by Vivian Asimov and Holly Swinyard.